Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this podcast from the Connecticut Certification Board. The CCB is a not-for-profit workforce development organization whose mission is to protect the public by enhancing recovery-oriented workforce capacity. On behalf of our board of directors and the staff at the CCB, I'd like to welcome you to this podcast entitled Scope of Practice. My name is Jeff Kwame, Executive Director of the Connecticut Certification Board, and I'm the host for today's program. Gambling can be found everywhere from physical casinos to a multitude of online websites and apps. It's easier than ever to gamble in the privacy of your own home or go on with a smartphone. It's simple to place bets with PayPal, credit cards, Bitcoin, or money transfer apps. All of this ease has led to an increase in problem gambling across the world. It's estimated that just under 3% of the population of the United States, or about 8.5 million Americans themselves, are problem gamblers. The stay-at-home guidelines of the coronavirus pandemic has increased nearly every risk factor for problem gambling. The social distancing measures recommended by the government health officials exacerbate the conditions, these things such as loneliness, isolation, and depression, that lead to problem behaviors. The problem gambling treatment and prevention industry, like so many others, is being forced to reinvent itself to meet the needs in this unprecedented area. Joining us today is the Manager of Policy and Communications for the Connecticut Council of Problem Gambling, Art Mongillo. Art has strong legislative and advocacy background, having worked in a variety of roles over the course of 14 years for the Connecticut State Legislature. In his role at CCPG, Art develops the Council's legislative agenda and utilizes the organization's communication platforms to support these efforts in addition to raising awareness of problem gambling and the availability of current treatment options statewide. He currently chairs the National Council on Problem Gambling's Awards Committee and serves on the Prevention Committee and Emerging Trends and Social Media Subcommittees. Thanks for joining us today, Art. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Art, I know you're a busy guy, so let's just jump right in. Um, March was Problem Gambling Awareness Month, but understandably, it took a back burner to the more pressing health issue, the novel coronavirus pandemic. However, the two were not unrelated. How does COVID-19 have the potential to worsen problem gambling and possibly even create new problem gamblers? Well, you know, Jeff, you correctly pointed out uh, earlier that uh, the social distancing measures recommended by our government and health officials have unfortunately exacerbated certain conditions that lead to problem behaviors, right? So this can set up kind of a perfect storm. The closures and the quarantine can increase risk factors. Then there's a shift to online gambling, which in and of itself may have some higher risk factors. And then we also have the impact on state budget that in which, you know, uh, behavioral health services and, and gambling addictions, gambling addiction resources and programs might be disproportionately impacted. Uh, additionally, the economic situation that many states are facing may also lead to increased motivation for legalizing and regulating online betting in an attempt to jumpstart the flagging economy. So we just want to make sure that we're, we're doing this in a responsible manner that includes safeguards in the form of responsible gambling programs for operators and funding for prevention, treatment, and recovery services. Uh, Keith White of the National Council on Problem Gambling, uh, he recently called what's happening now the perfect storm. And he, he really said that people with gambling problems are at a higher risk right now because they're isolated, they have poor access to healthcare in general, poor access to resources as well. You know, this certainly identifies a correlation to uh, to increase in to the increase in internet gambling. 
Have there been any increase in calls or activity at the CCPG over the last month? Well, you know, uh, typically during quote-unquote normal times, March is the time in which we typically see a 30% uptick in activity due to things like the NCAA tournament, March Madness, that's called one of the top three betting events annually. But I think it's a little too early at this point to tell us more people have been reaching out for help or seeking treatment because of the coronavirus or for other reasons. We're predicting a spike, but I don't. I think we should be careful about making any predictions right now. So the the expectation is you'll see a spike, but just not sure of the timeline, and and it's a little early to kind of have that information right now. Right. Well, with the sports world at a near standstill, and with casinos, you know, being closed, um, access to more traditional forms of gambling certainly are limited. But there are several um, offshore betting sites that are not necessarily legal. Um, and one was setting an over-under on the temperatures in different cities on given days. The one I saw exactly was, would it be 35 higher or lower in Philadelphia? Um, to someone who's a casual gambler, this may seem silly and it, it, it may seem innocuous, but how can sites like this create problems for gambling disordered individuals? Right. So, you know, to the 97% of the population, you know, folks who can sort of gamble responsibly and cannot be affected by problem gambling disorder. You know, this is, is, right? It's a little silly and innocuous. We've seen some really uh, far out stuff that's available for wagering, sports that I cannot imagine your average sports fan has much knowledge about. Things like table tennis, Japanese baseball, NBA roster simulation. But, you know, experts warn that people with a gambling disorder who are now cooped up at home during the pandemic are more prone to betting on events whose outcome they can't possibly estimate just to stay in action, so to speak. Uh, anecdotally speaking, clinicians say that some of the most harmful gambling is that in which their clients are betting on things they know nothing about. They're just seeking the rush that comes with the action. So for individuals with uh, that are problem gamblers, it doesn't matter what they're betting on. It's the act of of gambling itself. Right. Yeah, that can be kind of scary for some people. Um, and for many clinicians, uh, an unusual thing to, to deal with. Um, which hence the need for more training for clinicians about problem gambling. Um, one of the things you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, is around it, internet gambling. Is that very easy access, but it does promote, uh, propose some unique issues as well. We looking, you know, looking at some research, um, it's shown that internet gamblers are less likely to seek formal help than land-based gamblers. And although not conclusive, uh, some studies have shown that those who gamble on internet sites are up to three times more likely to develop problems than land-based gamblers. Can you kind of talk about those things a little bit? Uh, yeah, you know, so there are certain additional risk factors that come with online gambling. You know, there's 24-7 remote access and the speed of play that online gambling provides is problematic as well. You know, once upon a time, you used to have to put on pants and go to a brick and mortar location to place a bet. And you would, uh, you know, actually have to go to an ATM to take out money, which would give you additional time to consider your actions. Nowadays, you can gamble from your smartphone and the speed of play and sort of contactless payment solutions uh, allow you not even to see your money disappearing in real time. Uh, social casinos, for example, they're unregulated and they pose a pretty big risk to people during this time of quarantine. Uh, these platforms allow some free play gambling, but they also offer purchases for further betting. Now, Jeff, I obviously don't want to paint a picture that's doom and gloom. Uh, 
you know, talking to some providers, the online platform does give us opportunities to mitigate the risk of problem gambling, gambling a little bit sooner because there are uh, things that can be used to tra- uh, track payment transactions. There are certain stops you can put in place to limit your account's ability to, uh, to limit the ability of you to draw overdraw your account so overboard as you get because of scam. Uh, you know, talking to some providers, it seems that one additional positive is that you know, with clients having less opportunities to gamble, their help build in recovery and in treatment, deal with their urges. Also, you know, people now have access to more support online, such as GA meetings by way of daily call-ins or online. Uh, previously, lack of meetings, transportation, work, etc., would have been barriers to treatment or health. Nowadays, with these barriers removed, that might allow for some folks, more folks to reach out for help. So uh, there is a double-edged sword effect with that, that there, uh, there are some positives that, that go along with the negatives. Uh, is that what you're saying? Right. right. And one of the things I would question, though, is the ability, the need to wear pants at a casino. Um, having been at the casinos here in Connecticut, I would say that that's not necessarily a real requirement. <laughs> Pajamas must count as pants. Um, some form of leg covering. <laughs> when you talked about the uh, people can limit the amounts they can spend and they can put these things in place um, with gambling sites to kind of uh, as a protection, that sounds like very simple harm reduction techniques that people are still going to gamble, but they're able to, uh, they may not be ready to stop, but they can at least put something in place to have some protections on their money and things of that nature. Right. And, and, you know, we, we talk about um, offering additional expanded gambling in Connecticut. I know the legislature, before it came to a grinding halt, was considering bills that would allow for online gambling, iLottery, uh, sports betting, all things that could take place online. And, and some of what we were testifying to was the need that with any operators having an online gambling platform, there have to be those types of safeguards built in. In, in addition to some of the limits that you would be able to place on your own account, you would be able to have an opportunity to self-exclude, for example, if you thought that your gambling was severe enough that you needed to be separated entirely from mm-hmm. uh, things like that. One of the things that, uh, as somebody who deals with the entire workforce, that we've talked about federally with our our uh, federal policy liaison things is that when ever something is increased access to something is increased we want to see money increased to deal with prevention treatment and recovery of such um and i think that that would do well and i'm sure that the uh advocates for problem gambling treatment are doing the same if they're going to increase opportunities for individuals to wager that the states have some responsibility to increase funding to those that uh, offer prevention, treatment, and recovery services. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. You know, I don't, I don't want to get up on a soapbox and try to prioritize someone else's money. But I think, you know, if you spend more money, for example, on prevention, you might save money on the back end with treatment. Yeah, and I don't see that as being on the soapbox, actually. One of the things that we talk about is my cause can be funded without your cause being harmed. There has to be a way uh, for that to happen. We know that the governments don't work with that. Actually, federally, um, an Oklahoma congressman, Mike Oxley, said years ago that uh, 
Congress does two things well. One is respond to crisis, and two is nothing. Um, so we, it's kind of the crisis du jour that we look at um, from a policy standpoint that tends to happen, unfortunately. Right. right. Um, with all the issues that we talk about, we know that assistance is out there. And I really think it's important that we talk about uh, some of the assistance and some of the increased access that people can have. So we have a message of hope to anyone that's listening. One thing is, how can I reach out directly to the CCPG? Our 24-7-365 help line, uh, which would, by calling, would lead you to additional supports, information, access to treatment, access to meetings. Uh, that's one eight 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 seven eight nine seven 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 seven. Again, that's eight 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 seven eight nine seven 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 seven. Or for the text option, that would be CPGAMB, DPGAMB to five three three four two. If you're interested in live online chat, visit our website at cpg.org forward slash chat. Or if you have any confusion about the above options or you'd like to talk it through further with one of us, you can reach our office at 959-230-4034. I really like the online, uh, the texting option, because as from previous conversations, I know that the uh, folks that are, are involved in gambling now, we're seeing that trend downward in age and the younger uh, millennials or the digital natives, so to speak, um, are more likely to use some sort of electronic communication. Um, so I think that that plays right into who we're seeing having issues as well, um, which is a really good thing. Um, other than going to the CCPG webpage, which is absolutely fantastic, the resources page has a lot of information, a lot of graphics to kind of paint a picture of what's happening out there and what's available. Um, but what other resources exist to help individuals? You know, in addition to the gambling-specific treatment programs available statewide, those are known as Better Choice programs, and they are administered through the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services Problem Gambling Services Division, who are an excellent team working for the state and working in partnership with us to raise awareness of problem gambling as an issue, as well as sort of raise awareness of the uh, options for treatment available statewide. Uh, there are better choice programs, as I just mentioned, and additionally, there are groups like GA, Gamblers Anonymous, and Gamanon as well, which is for uh, folks who are affected by the gambling And one of the things that we've talked about at the CCB, and I know you've been part of these conversations, is that because gambling is often uh, combined with another substance use disorder and and things of that nature, that we really want to increase training and opportunities for clinicians to be trained uh, to work with those who are uh, have problem gambling issues. I know that when I was actively a clinician, I had no training in that and did not know a thing about what would be appropriate to do. Um, so I think training is important, and, and we have to look at how we can increase that. And certainly you'd be Absolutely. a part of that. Absolutely. Well, Art, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Um Perhaps we'll get together again and have more of a conversation as, as time allows. But um, I know you're a busy guy and appreciate you spending time with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me on. And thank you for the excellent work that you do as well. Well, thanks very much. 
That's going to do it for this episode of Scope of Practice. I'd like to thank the Connecticut Council on Problem Gambling and especially ART for joining us and for all the work that they do to help those impacted by problem gambling. We here at the Connecticut Certification Board appreciate everyone who's listening. And don't forget to follow us on Podbean. Until next time.